Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Dama and Maja. Maja. There we go. Where yeah. we explore of everything duty and illusion and everything in between. We're starting to get this intro down, James. We are. It's <laughs> happening, man. Yeah. You do anything anything long enough, you do it long enough, you start to get good at it. At least that's a theory, right? I don't know. I th- yeah, yeah. I think it's a theory. I think it's I think it's just I think it's a truth too. No, it definitely is. Yeah. I mean, I remember <clears throat> reading uh, about musicians and being one myself, I was naturally uh, interested in this study and it was showing that people who have no musical inclination naturally will at least become as proficient as somebody who's naturally inclined with practice. So, um, I mean, this isn't exactly musical, but mm. it, uh, it's close second. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, look, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, we can discuss this at length, but and perhaps this plays into the topic for this episode. Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> look at that. It's that wavelength Perfect. thing, George. That's the right. wavelength That's thing. Right. We are in sync. We're in sync. What do you think about all these people who talk about vibrational frequencies, by the way? Do you, do you just not, like, like me personally, I want to punch them in the face. Well, I would say that there is, uh, there's definitely some credence to it, but most of the people who do talk about it, or at least some of them are bullshitting, I feel to a degree. <laughs> but uh, I mean, the, the human vessel is a very interesting um, you say creation or, uh, or product or whatever, but, uh, you know, we have, we have all of these different receptors and the more that we're able to focus in on them, they become fine tuned. And so this directly ties into what we're going to talk about today, which is the topic of meditation Sure, and learning to uh, hone in on those, uh, receptors, which I find, um, I find fascinating the more that I do practice and specifically when I practice for long bouts, like on a 10 day silent meditation, mm-hmm. you know, the more that I sit gets into day five, six, seven, 50, 60 hours in. And I find that the intensity of my, um, my attention to sensation becomes so fine tuned that I am experiencing, uh, uh, vibration, like subtle vibration within my body. And so it's something that I feel can be, um, can be ascertained with practice. I mean, maybe people have a natural, uh, sense into that. Like, okay. For instance, somebody's energy, you know, like, uh, with, with a mood, you know, when somebody is in a mood, they're, they're like depressed or they're angry or whatever. Like there's a, I mean, isn't there a palpable like feeling of that in the room? For sure. I, I just, I, I, I just, I, I personally, I, I don't, I don't prefer the metaphor of vibration, right? Vibration. Well, it's so overused. It's totally overused. And then when people tell me like I have good energy or bad energy or whatever energy, negative energy, I'm just like, yeah, even that throws me for a, a loop because it's like, Okay, dude, like if you have a challenge with what I'm doing or saying, or if you appreciate it, like just tell me. 
Right. Like, do you appreciate me? You appreciate the way I'm coming off? Do you appreciate? And the uh, the other thing, not to get too off topic, but maybe this factors in somehow. Yeah. But um, but we'll it, see. <laughs> the, the 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 challenge I have too with with the language of vibration and energy, um, is also just that like, you know, people always say it's like a, it's it's just kind of like a a cliche, right now that like your intuition is always right and you have to trust it. Right. Well, right, right. Totally. Right. And, 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 and I feel like it's a dangerous cliche because like, you know, granted, like we all want what we know is unconscious competence in life. Right. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to sort of discern what the best course of action is without having to think about it. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of a state of mastery that like is extremely hard one and it's always something that's subject to revision right mm-hmm, totally you know and and so um one one big issue with 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 all this stuff is like well how do you know that like how are you interpre- interpreting your intuition right mm-hmm. like what like whatever whatever data you claim to be gathering you know from your surroundings how do we make sure that that's actually like not biased that you're not projecting from from your past or projecting totally from from whatever totally. yeah onto yeah. it because and and this is interesting for me because this is actually how i make sales mm-hmm. i sell on the basis of people's intuition mm-hmm. and their emotions mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. is it always a reliable indicator of my worth as a as a as a provider no it's not mm-hmm. does it move people to, to buy yes it does right, right? Yeah, yeah and so people will like me as a person or feel a certain vibe quote unquote right and they'll buy from me on that basis what they end up getting is something that they didn't even know was there because intellectually the kind of service i offer is beyond their intuition's capacity to grasp you know and so and so it's really interesting right the way it all pans out but maybe this that's why this is such a timely topic for us uh-huh. because of the relationship between meditation and honing in the accuracy of intuition. Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. Well, it, so I read a I read some kind of definition of intuition that is basically the ability to filter out all the information that one is receiving in order to uh, to find the points that are most important. Sure. And that is legitimately what intuition function functions as um as a tool sure ideally you know but but it's the filter and it's the quality of the filter that many people don't have but they just use the word intuition you know maybe it's maybe they're using their their, you know quote-unquote intuition but it's a very like crude model you know sure it's like a very coarse filter it's not a refined filter yeah. Yeah. And, and people will say this stuff like, oh, well, you know, I, I just have to trust my gut. Yeah. Oh, and I roll my eyes every time. Well, there's value to that, too. But but here's another thing is that like we haven't been taught and trained and uh, and and allowed to cultivate that as kids because it's something that it, it, it takes time, you know, and <clears throat> when you are operating in what uh, Gabor Mate uh, gives as uh, as like a paradigm of attachment mm-hmm. versus say authenticity, 
you know, when you're, when you're operating from attachment, you're doing whatever it is your parents say yeah. in order to get your needs met. Exactly. And they're not fostering the sense of authenticity most of the time because they're operating from an attachment pattern as well. Sure. You know, so they're not, so they're not like, uh, like, like fostering a sense of sovereignty in the child and saying, okay, what do you think? What do you feel? What's the, and, and of course, so a lot of times kids don't know what's what's best them. Sure. Right. But it's it's the parents discernment and wisdom that allows to differentiate between the two. Like, OK, what what do I know is best for my child versus what they might know is best for them? Sure. You know, and sometimes kids do know what's best for them and 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 say no to something, you know, and, and one of the one of the things that I've seen that's so damaging to a child is to not allow them to say no sometimes. For sure. Because it doesn't allow them to create their own sense of boundary and healthy sure. boundary. And it's something that I experienced for myself. Like I became a people pleaser because I wasn't really allowed to say no. And because I had that attachment pattern and I needed to get my, my needs met and I needed to, to receive love, I would do whatever it is that, I, that was asked of me. Yeah. And, and, and we, we always fall in, like, it's kind of like a default to fall into these kinds of patterns too. Totally. I feel, I feel. Totally. It's, it's, it's one of those things to where, you know, because we're constantly afraid of the loss of love, right. That we will, we will conceal how we're actually feeling or how we're actually thinking or what, what, you know, we, we genuinely believe to be true. Yeah. Right? Which is our authenticity that we sacrifice. Absolutely. Totally. Okay. And and so that's interesting too. Why don't we segue now into the questions on that, on that note? So yeah, that sounds um, good. So, um, and these are kind of preambled long questions, but I think it's interesting, um, <laughs> the way, the way they're set up. So hopefully, hopefully everyone else finds it, finds it interesting too, but we're, yeah. we're to find out. So what was it then that prompted you to first start meditating and what, what was it that led you specifically to the Vipassana style and, and beyond the formative events that we've discussed in previous episodes, right? Mm -hmm. Were there some experiences that solidified commitment to a daily meditation practice? Yeah. So it's, it's actually... I, the Vipassana part is, is pretty straightforward for me. Um, the actual meditation where I, where I just started exploring meditation, I don't know. I mean, it's not as direct, but I guess one thing I can say is that when I was a kid, I, I had all kinds of weird different books. Oh, I had a book on astral projection when <laughs> I was a kid. Yeah, I was like, how to astral project. Okay. I had a book on that. I had a book on levitation as well. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading about enlightenment when I was like 10 or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember exactly if it was in this book about levitation, but I, I was, I was into the idea of like superpowers, like gaining, gaining powers and, and doing it through, um, through concentration. I don't remember exactly if it was talking about doing it through meditation practice, but that kind of seed was planted in me early on. And then um, when I got into college, I'm gonna give a shout out to Moore Park College. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was the first or second year, I don't remember, but hands down the best class I ever had in that, co in that college was um, the Anthropology of Magic, Witchcraft and Religion with John Baker. 
Did you take that? Oh, you took anthropology. You took the same course, but it wasn't with him, right? It was with another teacher. I never took the course. Oh, I was you going to take it. I took a cultural anthropology class, so I missed out on that. Oh. I was going to take it with Matson, and then I was just like, that eh. was the other guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He. Yeah. I remember. I remember. Like, he taught the same class, but I think everybody who took the class with him felt they missed out because they heard how amazing it was with Baker. And sure. Like the final as the ritual, it was, oh, it was fucking amazing, dude. But anyway, so there was course reading, right? And, and you know, you'd have the the store, you could get the used books, news, new books. And so Dhammapada, the Four Noble Truths was one of the books. And I picked up a used copy. It was like $3 instead of four or whatever. I was a college student, okay? Um, but I remember I was in class, I opened the page and right there in the first page in pencil, dhamma.org was written there. And I was like, oh, hmm, what's this? It's a website. You know, websites were like still new in, uh, 2002, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I opened up the website and lo and behold, it was Vipassana Foundation. And it was, I, I read the description. It was like, this is a non-sectarian practice and yada, yada, yada. And, and um, talked about uh, the Buddha, talked about what the what the course curriculum was, you know, silent meditation and all this. And like immediately I was, I was intrigued. I mean, intrigued is an understatement. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have to do this, you know? And they say that if you come across this, and you like first of all if you come across it somehow the seed is sort of already in you and then if you um if you especially if you say like oh yeah that sounds like something i'd like to do sure it's like it's it's somehow already there mm-hmm. and then you just found it again mm-hmm. and so over the course of like 10 years um i almost signed up for it <laughs> a few times yeah and and i did start to meditate um in in the years between there were a bunch of different practices that i took on like montauk's montauk chia inner smile meditation like that was intense um because yeah i just i experienced some weird freaky mystical shit like kundalini rising it's you know it's a it is a thing despite what uh what what people dilute it down to these days you know like kundalini yoga and stuff like it's it's fine if you want to do that but when i did it i felt that my body wasn't ready for it this this energy that that was spontaneously uh coming up inside of me i don't know anyway uh so there's that um various other ones i don't even need to name because like they didn't give the results you know and that's something that's also said in the courses that like when you take on a practice, do something that gives you results. Sure. Noticeable, measurable results. And so throughout my 20s, I explored all these different practices. I started doing yoga a lot as well. Um, I did Bikram yoga for, for years, like a solid two, three years. Like when I was 23, I moved to that place in, um, in Mission Hills. Remember that spot? Yeah, San Diego for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was like, a cool little spot. Yeah, it was it was walking distance, this Bikram yoga class. And that was something that just helped me cultivate concentration better. You know, and then I started to 
funnel that into meditation more. And I would have varying degree of, uh, of very intense experiences or just total lackluster experiences, you know, heart centered or, or, um, mantra did a lot of mantra meditations. And then finally I had this friend who was, uh, who had, had done Vipassana numerous times and he's like, baby, you gotta go. You gotta go. <laughs> so I was like, all right, all right. So, so finally I went and it just blew the doors off of my, my beliefs. And this is a 10 day retreat, correct? Yeah. This is your first 10 day retreat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, so why don't we actually cover some, some new ground here and just, why don't you tell everyone like what happened in your words? Like what, what, I mean, how, how did you have, like what sort of a breakthrough was accomplished and what, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, so for one clarity and presence and like, yeah, presence is one of those words like, okay. Yeah. Another one of those, uh, a million dollar self-development guru yeah, exactly, words. Exactly. You need to be present. So, I mean, the, the measurable, uh, experience of that is just being able to sit somewhere and not have a thought come in to completely be in the space at the moment, just receiving information clearly without any kind of filter, you know, because we often filter or always filtering through our, our past perceptions of things, sure. you know, our, our complexes of, of preference of one thing over another, you know, that's a huge one that's, that's broken down in the pro in the, the process. So, so that was, um, that was a big part of it. Uh, another big part of it was the humility that it created because I experienced so much fucking pain in my body, <laughs> mm. but I became, I became sort of like tempered by it. Mm. I learned that pain uh, can be a tool. Mm. We're always running from pain. Of course. But when you learn to sit in your pain and not react to it and be okay and realize, oh, okay, this shit isn't going to kill me. I'm, I'm still here. I'm fine. Okay. Yeah. I'm sore, but I'm good. I can yeah. endure this. We realize that all of our emotional pain is actually physical pain that we're reacting to. But this is the, the disembodiment of the emotional process that we don't understand. When we, when we realize, start to connect that there's a physical sensation that's associated with every emotion that comes up, then there's a clarity of, of consciousness that's created in that. You realize, wow, nothing actually is subconscious. In, in the sense that, that there is, there is a connect, there's a direct physical connection to every single, um, thought and specifically emotion. And when you can pay attention to that, then it brings a conscious observation and not blind reaction to whatever that mental habit pattern is. Does that make sense? I think so. So, so what do we mean by a direct physical connection? What is connecting to what? Okay. So, um, so in, in Vipassana, they talk about, or specifically the, the Buddha's, um, uh, teachings, he talks about the four minds. Okay. So the four minds are a process in which we create new unconscious complexes. 
So the first mind is, um, is the sense doors. So we have our five like physical inputs, right? Like taste, smell, you know, touch, sight, sound. And then the sixth one is thought. Okay. So we have all of these inputs coming in and based on past experience, we take in some kind of, um, some kind of information and based on the, the past, uh, experience, like, okay, first let me rephrase it this way. We cognize, right? You, you would cognize information. Okay. We take it in. And then the second step is we recognize it. You recognize, mm-hmm. oh, it's, oh, it's this thing. Oh, and right there, a preference is made. I like this or I don't like this. Okay. And then the third mind is a biochemical reaction of some sort. There's a, some sort of physical stimulus that emerges from that physical preference, uh, from that, that, um, that, uh, preference. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like your, your breathing changes or your blood pressure increases or the stomach tightens, something like that. Right. And then from there, there's a reaction, but w- what we're missing is that physical sensation. So we're always thinking that we're just reacting to the, the, the preference. Oh, I like this. I don't like this. Right. And then react to it. But the missing link that the Buddha discovered was that there was a physical sensation going on at the same time. Mm. So when you start to break that down and actually just sit and pay attention to the sensations in this methodical way, then these thoughts start to come up because when you're not reacting to it, because you understand that it's impermanent, like why react to this pain in my stomach? Like it's going to go away. It wasn't there five minutes ago. It's gonna, it, who knows when it's gonna go, but it will go away. I understand everything that's going on in my body is impermanent. When you have that understanding, you see through that lens, then there's nothing to run from, you know? And that starts to actually break down the complex at its root. So after doing this so many times now, I've, I've established a foundational trust in the process and, and some complexes have all but disappeared. Yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done. And that was the humility that I realized was that, oh shit, I have so much pain in my body. There is a lot of work to be done. Hmm. But then the the sort of um, like revelation was that, oh, this is a practice to do that. Hmm. Okay, cool. So so there's a lot there too. I know, I know. No, <laughs> no, 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 and that's fine. Yeah. Like there's, there's the, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, there's, you get me going, dude. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> why we're doing this thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so, um, I guess the you know, there's a there's a lot of questions that that brings to mind, right? For me, um, <clears throat> but in particular, I think it's the connection between the mind and the body, right? And yeah. so maybe we can try and tie in um, uh, just a little bit of of of, uh, of psychoanalysis to this. So go for it. So you know, when we're talking about you know, one of one of the major formulations of of the way the unconscious mind works for for Lacan, who's my sort of the psychoanalyst who I've, I've studied the most. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Seems really cool from what you've told me. Yeah. A really interesting guy. Obviously, you know, one of these these, you know, eccentric French thinkers. But uh, but so he, <laughs> he love the French. Absolutely. So one of the one of the things <laughs> he, he, he claimed was that um, 
you know, every time that I speak or, or we speak or every time consciousness or, or the ego, as it were, speaks, right. Our sense of ourselves, consciousness, waking sense of self speaks, the body also speaks without us necessarily being aware mm. of what the body is saying. Right. Okay. And I, yeah, yeah. It's like body language, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. 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 And, mm-hmm. and you know, like I, I know I always gesture and gesticulate wildly with my hands, right. When I talk, <laughs> um, and, and I, you know, beyond that though, you know, like we come to different episodes and, and places and situations in life where, you know, there's, there's always some kind of subtext right. to whatever it is that mm-hmm. we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I guess the question is, you know, does, does, does this kind of meditation is the idea here that we actually get to attune ourselves to the unconscious mind and its manifestations by forcing ourselves to, to stop and pay attention there? By, by paying attention to our bodies, does this start to dissolve that mm-hmm. distinction between conscious and unconscious, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I kind of like talked about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot there. But it's like energy, energy is always going somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, like when when you have nervous energy it's being expressed in a certain way. Sure. You know, but, um, as my leg shakes right now, I'm probably, <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So like, what's up with that? You know, like, yeah, yeah. What's, what's, what's being, um, expressed there Sure. in that sort of energy. Um, the practice of sitting still, because that's a, that's a really important part of the practice too. Like when you sit for, for 10 days, like I think on day four, they they stress the importance of what's called aritana, which is the sitting of strong determination. Mm. So it, it's basically the the sort of um, commitment one makes to themselves to sit completely still once um, one has found their their posture. Like once you get comfortable cross your legs, sit however you're going to sit, you don't move. Mm. And it builds this intensity in the sitting Mm. that forces you to pay like exquisite attention to what's going on. Sure. And to, and to not divert from that. So let's say with the nervous leg, right? Like that energy is being dissipated. Yeah. But when you don't have the, not the ability, but you, you, the, there's a, there's a commitment to paying attention to what's going on, uh, that that's causing that, um, whatever the sensation is showing up as there's an insight that comes up. It's, it's really, it's really interesting. Like when I'll be focusing on a part of my body, like maybe my, my solar plexus or my, like lower gut or something. If I'm, if I'm in the zone and I'm super focused, a thought will come up some kind of, some kind of like thing from my past, some kind of memory. And it's, it's so profound, like that suppressed memory from my childhood, from when I was like eight, 
will come up. Yeah. You know, but, but the thing is like, I don't have an emotional reaction to it anymore because I'm grounded in the sensation, you know? So, so there's this, um, there's this process of unraveling that, um, that, uh, like unconscious bodily expression or, or sensation through the intensity of that concentration. Sure. You know? And so you're actually bridging the gap between the mind and the body by, forcing the attention into the body for sure no i i I see that and 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 i would say you know it it makes it it seems to make sense because normally we don't really have access to any of that stuff right Mm -hmm. in normal waking life when we're practically oriented yeah we're not taking the time to sit and notice you know what might be driving us our nervous twitches or what totally we're not even like half the time we're hardly even, you know, we discussed this a little bit. We're hardly even paying attention to the sort of double and triple entendres, the many meanings that come out in our speech. Right. 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 As intellectualized as we are as a species now, it's like we've got so many blinders on, you know, mentally with our, within our own shit, our own like internal landscape that, that, that presence in, in just listening to other people, being able to take in information without uh, without a filter like isn't there. For sure. Right? Yeah. This is going to be part one of a two-part episode on meditation. Um, James, your questions were so good and so thorough. There was a lot of content to get into and I didn't realize how much I was going to expound on uh, some of these questions that you asked. So... We're going to leave this episode unfinished or rather segue uh, between this part one here and part two that will come next week. Absolutely. And you guys definitely, you know, if, if you found part one interesting, definitely want to tune in for, for part two because that's where we really tie it down and where a lot of the questions and answers that come up in part one, you know, get get made the most sense of does that sound about right george i think that sounds great cool um so if you have any critiques of this episode i would say uh save them for after the following week's episode to to see if we um didn't answer some of those burning questions you had and if you have anything to say at all please let us know um you know again we're, we're, we're super thankful for our listener zach davis who has chimed in and give us some awesome feedback. We want to hear what you guys have to say. So don't be shy. Definitely. So thank you for listening to part one of two parts in this um, ever evolving, continuing series on meditation. And we will see you on the next one. Ciao, ciao. We out. Later. <laughs>